Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. This week, I'm joined by Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs, the co-founders of Food52. Food52 is an interesting example of a crop of publishers that are finding diverse business models that stretch far beyond advertising. Food52 makes money in a variety of ways, including through the sales of its own products. I spoke with Amanda and Meryl about the business model, and I hope you enjoy it. Meryl and Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Joint podcast. This is our second ever joint podcast. Um, Explain the founding story for Food 52. Well, Meryl and I actually worked together for five years before we started Food 52, which uh, if you ever decide to start a company, I highly recommend. Okay. A trial period. (laughs) (laughs) Trial marriage. And... We, weren't, we didn't start working together intending to start a company. We were working on a book project that I was doing uh, when I was at the New York Times. And we just completely hit it off and worked intensely together for five years. And while we were working, of course, we were, you know, there was a lot of shop talk um, about, like, what was happening in the industry. And these themes kept just kept, you know, emerging that we felt like there was so much cool stuff happening in the food world Uh offline (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that this wasn't this energy uh and this big cultural sea change wasn't reflected online which was of course very surprising because online is supposed to be you know the land of innovation and we felt like you know hey why why isn't somebody doing something better online and why do we as people who love cooking love home why do we not feel served well Mm -hmm. and so that's when we decided that We would try to create that place. And by place, we don't mean site. We mean kind of a world. So this was how many years ago? 10? 12? 10. 10. 10 years ago. Okay. So what did you see? What specifically did you see, Meryl, like out in the the landscape? The real world? Yeah. That that wasn't being served. Because, I mean, maybe it's now, but, I mean, food is very... It's very popular online. I don't it know if you've noticed this. Well, it was popular then, too. <laughs> yes, but in a very specific I mean. way. In right? what way? I would say recipes were very popular. Yes. Um, and they still are, clearly. But what we were seeing happening offline was very much about getting together. It was about connecting people, like-minded people, whether they were home cooks or even semi-professionals. You know, people were, like, quitting their jobs as lawyers and accountants to start a chocolate-making business or, you know, become a ceramicist. And and getting together in, you know, whether it was sort of pop-up dinners or food swaps, we were covering all of these things as food journalists. Mm -hmm. And we felt that aside from food blogs, which were really exploding, there was no platform for real people to have a say, to share their knowledge and expertise, to have a social experience with one another, you know, trade ideas, uh, inspiration, talk about everything from recipes to techniques to products, you know, all the stuff you need to make those recipes um, come to life, to have a dinner party, um, you know, to set your table. All of these things that to us were so clearly part of a lifestyle, which has become obviously such a cliched word, but it it really is the best way of describing Mm -hmm. it, or a world, as Amanda said. Mm -hmm. And the internet was such a we felt like it was such a great place to to get people to connect. And no one was really doing it. So you had these, you know, traditional print media publications who were basically just republishing their print yeah. content online. Um, and then massive recipe sites, which some of which were crowdsourced, but there was no sense of 
community or curation or point of view. Okay, so you saw Ooh. Bon Appetit and you saw all recipes and you said there's something there's something and blogs. It's, and more, blogs. Than, it's more than right. that. It, it's more that that you know Americans had tr- had previously really sort of treated food as part of in in our culture as this kind of niche interest. Mm-hmm. And it had or utility too. I'd yeah, say one of the two, right? Yeah. It's and, definitely a utility. Yeah. And then it had moved like to, to the center where it had become this really critical part of Americans' yeah. identity and how, and how you express how, yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. how, you know, it, how you expressed yourself, how you lived, how you, who, you know, how you socialized, how you traveled, where you mm-hmm. shopped for food, what you wanted to know about the ingredients. It was, it, it had, it had such this, you know, primary part of every people's everyday lives suddenly that, um, and no one was treating it that way yeah. in, in, in either as a, as a content provider or as a shop and, or as a mechanism for connecting people. Did you have like a typical person you were like, we're going to make this for this type of person. I don't want to say like a psychographic or something yeah, like this that us. wasn't being served. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like, I mean, so many founders of companies are creating products that they (laughs) want. I'm glad you're honest. (laughs) It's true. But I think if we would imagine What made you think that there were enough people like you out there that, like, you know, not many people work for the New York Times um, (laughs) writing about food. Be a small and very lucrative audience. There was definitely a broader (laughs) sort of psychographic, to use your word. I think we were picturing... Really, obsessives. we started. We well, not no. yeah, not even obsessives. I mean, it, just enthusiasts, okay. right? People and people who have to get dinner on the table every night. People who like hosting. Um, people who want you know are getting really into creating a sense of home, and the kitchen was the center of that. Of they that didn't have to sous vide. Yeah, that, no, no. Although, recently, I mean, we definitely right? had. No, that was around pretty early on. We had we had a bunch of sous vide enthusiasts as well, <laughs> okay. um, talking to each other. But I think. We were kind of thinking about food blogs who are the super, you know, super enthusiasts in that they're willing to put blood, sweat, and tears into trying to make a business out of creating content around food and cooking. But then we were very convinced through our own observations and research that there was the next kind of broader level of people who really, really care and enjoy cooking and enjoy, you know, creating mm-hmm. a, a sense of home and gathering, you know, around food that just did not have the time or the inclination to create a blog, but might if they if they did, right? But they were had real lives. They had other right. professions. So community was always going to be at the center. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Explain yeah. why you thought that was going to be important. Well, that, um, oddly enough, that insight came from the New York Times archive from the 19th century mm-hmm. um, because that was the project that we were working on was this cookbook that was recipes from the whole New York Times history. And what was really interesting was that all the pretty much like 95% of the Times recipes in the 19th century, which there were many, 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 um, all came from readers. And it was very much like this crowdsourced experience where the editors would say, you know, we're looking for soup recipes. And then the next you could see the next week they would readers would send them in. And they were very much they were actually very tweet like their recipes. They were very short. Oh, wow. Um, kind Low of punctuated. Um, opin- <laughs> they attacked each other. Opinionated. They, they sort of did in their own very subtle 19th century way. Yeah. And um, yeah. And we were fascinated by this because we felt like wow, this is actually really amazing content. And this whole idea of crowdsourcing, of course, was like being talked about in the modern day mm-hmm. as this as new, new fangled thing. Um, and we felt like, well, no, in fact, um, 
like this has existed forever. This is, um, you know, community cookbooks have, have existed for a very long time. It's a part of American culture. And um, so we felt like there was like a reference point that was familiar to everyone that it just needed to be surfaced. Mm-hmm. Um, what did the business plan look like? Was there a business plan? Yeah. I mean, we were not trying to launch a company and then figure out the business model. We understood that we felt that if you built a company that was more multifaceted than just a like straight up media company or a straight up commerce company, that you would end up with a diversified and you're saying that revenue. now, but did you no, think yes, that 10 we years did. ago? We did. Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. No one, no one cared. No one was listening to us <laughs> and no one wanted to give us money for it. I didn't have a But podcast. we were talking about it. <laughs> you would have listened. <laughs> well, I mean, we started on day one with revenue. We, we worked yeah. with an ad network from, you know, the very first day we launched the site because we were determined to build a business from the beginning that did have a path. But you, you know, didn't think it. this is going to be ads. Because, I mean, 10 years yes, ago... we did. We, yeah, we definitely thought there would be ads would be a component of it. But not all ads. No. 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 And that's why we actually started talking about products from almost day one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were... We, we had set out to build this kind of larger... This larger idea. And it, I, I mean, I, I don't think we... We certainly didn't have a clear sense of what the exact parameters would look like, but we knew that there were all of these components that people, like-minded people, people like us, people like, you know, that sort of next level below the food bloggers, um, they're, they're these multifaceted needs and people were having to go to all different places to satisfy them. And we felt like there was a real opportunity to create a brand that was very community focused that would also be a one-stop shop for people. So we couldn't execute all of that at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but we made ad revenue from the beginning and talked about products because we we really feel strongly you can't separate the two. You know, if you're if you're going to make this great stew recipe that you've just looked up, you, you need the right pot to make it in. Um, and so it's just a natural part of the conversation with people who care about cooking and food. So we started talking about products very early on. In fact, we had a shop in our main nav um, very early on that just featured products that we liked sent people off. We actually had a, had an editor, a shop editor, and she would feature a product every day and we would just link off to other sites to direct people where they could get them. But we're no affiliate. Nope. No, nope, because this was very early days. Yeah, I mean, this was before affiliate programs were very much of a thing. Yep. But also because I think coming from the world of journalism, we felt like we needed to do this cautiously. We needed yep. to build trust. We didn't want people to think that we were just, you know, trying to sell things uh, right off the bat. Right. And we wanted to get them comfortable with. And also we understood that like the most important thing to do was to really build kind of trust and um, loyalty through the content and building this community. Yeah. So that's, so we focused on that um, so we could prove that out. And then with the with the you know dream and goal of being able to have a more mm-hmm. fully fleshed shop someday. So what was the hardest part of building the community before we get to the monetization side? Because without the community, there's no monetization. Hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of you have to like want to participate. And while you're trying to like build your company and run your company and you're figuring things out, also be like answering comments on a blo- on on the blog or you know answering comments on a recipe and just being very 
uh, to, like engaged and active. And that's not like hard. It's just that it actually takes a lot of time. So I think we were just working around the clock yeah. all the time yeah. mm-hmm. because we wanted to be present and be, uh, you know, active parts of the community because we, we always felt that, you know, we don't have a community. We are the community. And um, because we felt like at that time when you, when sites had communities, they were sort of like shoved off to the side Um kind of like here's the real content and then you guys can chat over here and we wanted community to be, to be everywhere um in our in um on our site and so we felt like it was really critical to um, get the message across that you know we were setting the tone we were um mm-hmm. you know we were we were part of the conversation and we were listening so how did the business model evolve i mean it was mostly ads at first Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we bootstrapped the site. So like yeah. we, the first money in was actually a book deal, and that's what we operated the site on for eighteen months. And then we did a seed round, and and during that first eighteen months, we had um, we signed up with an ad network. Do you remember ad networks? I do. Which one was it? <laughs> well, first was there was Say Media, but the first oh, one boy. was something R. else, R. wasn't yeah. it? I still have some Say Media swag. Thank you, Troy well, Young. For yeah, well, you know what we loved about Say Media is that they played they they paid us a flat fee per month, mm-hmm. and you know when Guaranteed. you're you know we you you don't know what you're doing, and it was mm-hmm. just really nice to know like okay we have got this coming in, um, and and then we'll figure out a bunch of other things that are other. Uh, things that need to be sorted. Um, so, uh, you know, that, so we were just kind of, um, trying to build up. We were really focused basically on building our traffic and our right. following so that, that, that we could keep negotiating higher monthly, um, fees from say, and you know, the other, uh, ad networks. And then, then eventually, I think it was 2012 when we decided, okay, we need to build our own ad team. Mm-hmm. And that's when we hired our first ad salesperson. Okay. And when did the commerce come in? 2012, we tested commerce using a third-party platform, uh, and honestly, it was so tedious to use for Very if you were clunky. a shopper, um, and people shopped on it, which we were shocked by. So it sort of proved out that, look, we have this community, it's of a certain size, yeah. and... They'll buy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not just coming here for, That's right. for the community. And they didn't just buy, I mean, they bought, they bought uh, you know, wooden bowls. They bought imported sardines. They bought trips to Italy um, off of this clunky platform. And it felt, it felt like a very strong proof point to us that people had, we had earned their trust mm-hmm. and they, and they wanted our curation. Um, and they wanted a source for these things. So when most people talk about their commerce businesses, they're really talking about affiliate businesses. Most publishers. Most publishers, most publishers are. Yes. 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 Or, or licensed products, which, yeah. 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 Quick break to hear from our sponsor. So explain the strategy. We wanted to be the merchant of record. Yeah. So from the very beginning, uh, you know, after we worked with this third party where everything was happening on their site, which was skinned to look like Mm -hmm. Food 52, uh, and we'd sort of proved out that, you know, the appetite was there um, and, you know, gotten some some good data about what kinds of products sold well and what kinds of price points were, you know, palatable to people. Then we raised another round of funding to build our own platform, which is, which is fully uh, customized and integrated with our CMS, which is also homegrown. Because number one, we felt like it was critical if we were really going to combine content, commerce, and community, which 
we were using those three words, by the way, way back when. Now it's become, you know, such a truism. But It was in our t- 2011 deck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if we were really going to blend them in a in a seamless way that we you had to be able to sort of have one identity and one home base um, across everything mm-hmm. that we were doing. So people have to this day their profile pages where they can look up, you know, recipes they've added to the site, recipes they've saved, articles they've saved, and order history for anything they've bought. So it's all in one place. How hard was that to switch the company, though? Because, I mean, these are very different like capacities you need to have, right? But it, it wasn't mean, switching the company. It no, was switching it, but I mean, you're, you're, looking you're for, doing very different things all it was, of a sudden. Yeah, but it was sort of an- expanding our scope, yeah. really, because yeah. we, we never, like, you know, internally, we never talked about ourselves as like, we're a media company. Like, we were... A brand. Yeah, this brand. Um, and we were as much a community as we were, a, you know, content producers. Okay, so, so then you wasn't. didn't consider yourselves a media company. You just everyone else did. Yeah, we never call, we've never called <laughs> I mean, ourselves. A media of course, company. We, of course, we are. Yeah. You know, in part, we you know we we publish articles yeah. and we publish books and we pub, you know and recipes and we sell advertising against it. So yes, we are from a technical definition, but we never really we never thought of ourselves in that way. Okay. So it was about building your own products, though, too. Making your own products. Well, eventually. eventually. In the that beginning, was the it was about curating the best products yeah. that we could find from, you know, ideally, we always uh, have striven. Is that, is that a word? No, have, stri- have, st- have strived? <laughs> strived? Have strived. <laughs> have stroven? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to do that again. Uh, we've always strived to have as many exclusive product offerings as possible, whether that was, you know, an exclusive colorway from, you know, a vendor who who makes the same pot in, in other colors or a design where we've actually collaborated with the maker and, you know, can be co-branded um, or just an early launch of a product on our site before anyone else has access to it. Um, so we've always gravitated towards those products because we want to be offering people things they can't find everywhere and really finding the gems. You know, there's there's also this whole community of makers that's a little bit behind the scenes, although we try and feature them as often as possible. You know, people that, that we also are thinking about in the same way as our other community, we're offering them a platform to kind of distribute their wonderful products and and gain, you know, more of a following, more customers for them. And not to say we don't work with some larger, you know, larger companies as well, but we have always tried to have kind of a mix of the things, the best of the sort of the basics, like, you know, cookware tends to be a category where there's not a lot of kind of one-offs, um, you know, Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're distributing their product as widely as possible, um, but we would choose the best, the best cookware, only the best cookware to, to to show people, and try to have a variety, of course, and a variety of different price points. Knowing that there are people who want to go all out, and then there are people who just want a good entry pot, but then complement that with a lot of really special, um, really beautiful, inspiring things for your home and for your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Was there any challenge of balancing the commerce part with the content part? I mean, so the commerce doesn't overwhelm the content? You mean in terms of what we were putting out into the world? Yeah. Or internally? Both. I think there's, uh, yes, and in different ways. 
for instance, our emails, like how much to emphasize the shop products versus how much to emphasize, you know, feature the the content. And it's it's sort of a constant conversation, but it's also, you know, we're data guided in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I do think there is a there is a natural tension between kind of an ad sales team and a commerce team because they they're operating very differently. And so making sure that they are understanding um, how they found each other functions and um, and communicating is, yeah, it's something that we need yeah. to constantly kind of evolve and work on. I, explain the tension because, I mean, there's like, I've, I've heard this before from publishers who, who are going into commerce. I think it's, you know, <laughs> it's more about, you know, making sure everyone feels loved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to make sure that like they that you know, we care as much about that part of the as one part of the business as we do the other. They you know, people want to feel like they're getting resources that they're um, you know, that when we're um celebrating things at the company, we're celebrating things equally across mm-hmm. um across teams. Uh you know, it's pretty traditional topics of conflict um if if you want to call them conflict. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure. if you think about it, you know, our obviously our goal is this full integration of of the whole picture, right? But practically, there are going to be different short term goals for those teams. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, the ad sales team is always looking for traffic, right? That's that is the thing that's going to help them the most in their conversations. You know, if they can talk about audience growth, if they can talk about specific demographics, that's a real, you know, tool in their their kit when they're going out and talking to partners. Whereas the commerce team is thinking probably more about conversion rate than they're thinking about, you know, unique visitors to the site. So it's just not that unique visitors doesn't benefit the commerce part of the business, but they look at it as a, a funnel. funnel. They're just like, exactly, hey, exactly. Okay. So it's it's that kind of thing where you just have to be careful about sort of again, as Amanda said, celebrating um, wins in in both areas or all areas, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, what does a revenue portfolio look like now between like I don't know how you break it out, but ads, commerce. It's approximately seventy five percent commerce, twenty five percent ads. Okay, well, so, a little bit with cookbooks. So the commerce people should win all the arguments then, I guess. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's probably where they start with the argument. (laughs) Well, the other thing I think that it's it's important to to acknowledge is that the lines are blurring more and more every day. You know, I mean, the opportunities with partnerships um, have expanded so greatly just even in the last three to five years Mm -hmm. where – it's possible and it's actually preferable, I think, for both sides to create these larger, more um, multifaceted, longer-term partnerships with other brands that where there's like-mindedness, where there, you know, is some kind of audience overlap or, or complementary audience or, or customer base. And we've done a bunch of partnerships now with, with great brands where there has been, you know, a media component. There's been a you know, sponsored content component. And then there's been a commerce component. So, for example, you know, maybe we've uh, we did something with Patron a couple of years ago where we designed a small line of barware that we 
put both of our, you know, branding on and sold the those items in our shop. And then they were they also took some of the inventory to give to like some of their VIPs. Mm-hmm. And that also became, you know, a talking point for content as well. And I think that, you know, just thinking back, we were talking about the balance in email. That's also even been something that's that's been blurring is that there's so much great content that comes out of the products while people tend to assume it's it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a story behind all the products that we sell and, you know, that inspires great content as opposed to the content leading to, you know, the products yeah. that, that we Well, need. yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people assume like, well, we, you know, we have these recipes so that we can then recommend products exactly. to you. Yeah. But that's, in fact... Um, what ideally, it, you know, it's it that is the case that we're showing you re- products that are really relevant to that recipe and hopefully, you know, helpful if you if you should need them. Um, but or you know, if you buy a pan from us, we're sending you recipes that mm-hmm. are great for that kind of pan. But it starts with the you recipe; know? it doesn't start with the pan. No, it no, could it start with the pan. That's my could point. It? That's yeah. my point. Okay. That's my point saying. is that we have a lot of okay. people come in and they shop. You know, they don't. They have. They're not familiar with our content yet. And I meant how and the content got made. It was, it's not like oh, let's. We need to do a recipe to sell some pans. Oh no! Oh, like yeah, in other yes. words, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. necessarily create a recipe, but we would and have created video about yeah. you know, how sure. how things are made and factory tours, which are just <clears throat> so cool. Um, so that it does work both ways. Okay. So how big is the company now? When you say how big, what do you mean? People wise. People. People. We're, revenue. We're about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Trying to you seem like, in there. You seem like you're open, so I was just gonna go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna say ninety, and then you can um, you can figure out, can what, figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take ninety million. Um, it's giant. So we'll it's wait. Impressive. How? How? Um, <laughs> How much do you think this model is made for the area versus, I mean, look, there's a lot of focus now on DTC, if you will, like, and a lot of times that's, that's obviously with the new uh, brands that, that pop up outside of media, but within media, there's a lot of focus on DTC. Yeah. So do you think this is just, how much of this is because food is made for this versus this being a new type of media model? I mean, food is a great subject matter for this. But we feel very strongly. I mean, I think we were lucky in that way, or maybe smart is a better way of describing <laughs> it, um, you know, in realizing that there is this, it, it women be, Women always say they were lucky. It's true. You're right. No, we were smart. And <laughs> we saw that food could be sort of the center of a, of a wheel with, with many spokes, right? And that it, mm. it did have the opportunity to go in lots of different directions. But I think there are other categories where it makes mm-hmm. sense as well. And in fact, we've... we are doing home. Exactly. We're doing yeah. home, which is our fastest growing category. We are doing travel, um, travel content, which and then also sort of like outdoor gear um, has been really, really popular. Only <laughs> glamping, glamping gear. Glamping. <laughs> <laughs> but all under the Food 52 brand. Or the five two brand, okay. which is so our that's... our line of products that we've created in partnership with our community. So I just wanted to note uh, what Meryl just said about home. We had intended to get into home coverage, like home design, mm-hmm. um, kind of 
you know, home how-tos. And we were sort of starting to dip our toes into it, but actually the shop team was moving faster and started building out our assortment across home, and it started selling really well. And we had hoped for that, but we didn't expect it to happen so quickly. And so that actually drove our content, to our ramp-up of home okay. content. Mm-hmm. So actually, like, seeing sales and seeing that people wanted home things from us. They were actually going willing to put down their credit card to buy products from us that were related to the home mm-hmm. and outside of the the kitchen. Not that the kitchen isn't in the home, even though it gets always treated as like this other, um, you know, <laughs> like it's its own uh, universe within the home. Um, and so, yeah, so we, so sometimes our, our shop sales actually drive what kind of content we're covering. So which areas, I mean, these... Uh, it doesn't have to be within the home. Travel's not within the home. I guess the home no. is wherever you want to be. No, exactly. It's more like we think of like if food is at the center of a well-lived life, what are all the things that that touches? Okay. So that is the sort of focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you could be doing everything. Yeah. yeah we're not going to get into cars. Okay. I Maybe. mean, never say never, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on the roadmap. It's between home and office. <laughs> so explain the churn and deal. Churn and now has what? Like majority stake? They, yes, they made a majority investment in the company. Okay. Yeah. So what's going to change? Not a whole heck of a lot other than we <laughs> like, have their support and their... And resources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, like, go faster. Okay, so it's go faster in what direction? All directions. Well, <laughs> a lot of directions. I mean, you know, certainly investing more in um, 5.2 and, um, and also in offline um, retail. So we'll be doing some pop-ups, and we'll be moving toward creating a flagship store. Okay, so you're going to open up, like, a full-time store. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Explain why do you, yeah. you want to go into, you know, retail's got its own challenges. Well, I don't, I, you know, we're not envisioning a place that's just, you know, shelves filled with products. We're something more experiential and something that gathers people. And mm-hmm. um, But we do also have a product line that has um, specific categories that, um, are really beneficial to see in person. And, for instance, like dinnerware. Actually, we see this online. People will order, they'll buy one full one. set of dinnerware, and you know, well, that they're they're not just like buying like a, a table very, for one, you know, like a five piece place <laughs> setting for themselves. Um, they're testing it out, right? Because right. they don't, they're not going to just order eight or 12, you know, right off the bat. And so that's an example of a, a product category that would be really great to be able to, um, you know, show people in person. Um, but, you know, we also feel like it's a way for us to kind of connect the various sort of spokes of what we do in an, in, in a, in a retail experience. Okay. And what that looks like We'll tell you next time. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got to bring the revenue number next time, too. (laughs) And the profits, I'm sure. Um, But we'll also be expanding our content. So going sort of deeper in certain things, you know, and um, and also um, kind of broadening how we distribute our content uh, with the platforms that we're using. Like, you know, for instance, we have a we've had a podcast ourselves called Burnt Toast, um, which is based on the original name of the company. Um, which okay. is Burnt Toast LLC, <laughs> and uh, named named thus because Meryl and I, despite having gone to cooking school and having written about food for many years, uh, we both burn toast all the time. Okay. Um, and we felt like it was a way of saying that, like, everyone is, you know, everyone's always learning in the kitchen. We're all in it and together. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it was called Burnt Toast. And uh, just when, you know, 
our our bandwidth got strained at some point, we decided like, okay, we can't do the podcast anymore. But it's it's clearly a I, I believe I'm sure you believe in this too, as since you're doing a podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a great medium for telling stories and interviewing people, and um, and we feel like there's a big opportunity for us in food, and we have an idea for uh, a way to do it differently. I agree. I agree. Uh, so final thing is just uh, whenever I get experts in, I want to know um, what's like, what's one dish that everyone needs to master as like an adult, like a functional adult that you think that someone, even if they're not going to be an expert cook, should be able to pull off? Like beyond boiling water. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I think a good roast chicken, you know, it's it's just if you can get it right, it's a beauty in and of itself the first time you make it, but then you can also make so much with it with the okay. leftovers. See, I was going to say the Marcella Hazan tomato sauce. Or that's another great one. Because it's like you can this use it on advanced. pizza. No, it's, no, okay. it's it literally is a can easier. of tomatoes, a stick of butter, and an onion chopped in half with the skin on. Mm-hmm. And you okay. just, you don't even I, have My to daughter, dice. who's 13, just made it the other night <laughs> herself. Um, and you just let it simmer on the stove for 40 minutes and it's done and everyone loves it. And, you know, you can use it for making lasagna. You can just put it on top of pasta with grated cheese and it's fantastic. You can, you know, make pizza. Um, you can use it as a jumping off point for like a yeah. meat sauce, which I do a lot. Yeah. Okay. Tomato soup. Great. Thank you, Marilyn <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> thank you, uh, so, thank much. you so much <laughs> for having us. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always like to hear from you. Um, you can also always tweet me. I am at bmarcy or email me. I am brian at digiday.com. Thank you to Pierre Bianame, who is our producer. We'll be back next week.